This is Teachable Moment, the show where we get to know the people that make LCC go. I'm Steve Robinson, president of Lansing Community College, and I go one-on-one with a member of our campus community to learn about a key concept or idea from their area of expertise. It's a show about what makes LCC great, the fantastic people with inspiring ideas who change lives every day with their incredible work. My guest today is Bob Ford, professional landscape architect at Landscape Architects and Planners, where they specialize in sustainable placemaking, site design, and land planning. He's joining me today as a member of our community to discuss one of the gems on our downtown campus, the Shigematsu Japanese Garden. Bob, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. I am so excited to be talking to you because you played a very important role in creating one of the most special LCC places that I know. And that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we do that, I would love to learn a little bit about you and your firm. You're a landscape architect. Tell me about your company and what you do there. Hey, thank you very much, Steve. It's a pleasure to be here. Landscape Architects and Planners has been in business for 32 years as a landscape architectural planning uh, firm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Prior to that, there was a Robert Ford and Associates. Okay, which that was started. your prior company? Correct. Uh-huh. And I also, in my previous career, worked for the city of Lansing. I've worked for uh, other landscape architectural firms and an engineering firm. All that goes uh, into what has become a 32-year adventure, and I like to think of it as a labor of love. It's really a, a great place to work in Lansing, Michigan. And from Lansing, our firm has been able to not only work throughout the city and region, but also the state and adjoining states. And we also have worked overseas in China on some exciting projects there as well. Well, that's fascinating. And you and I have talked a little bit about some of the very special places in and around our community that your firm uh, had a hand in building. You say labor of love. When you look at some of these big rocks and trees, it's a lot of labor. This is very physical work. It is. Uh, we're, the, we're the architects, so we really don't get involved in the construction other than to oversee it. Right. Make sure that it complies with the specifications and plans that we draw. Mm-hmm. And we like to involve the community and or the client so that we can understand what it is they're looking for as a vision for their projects. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today, is a very particular vision from 2006 to memorialize a a very important person and a very important program here at the college. But before we get into our Japanese garden, uh, you also taught here in the landscape architecture program at at LCC. How long were you an instructor here? A little over 22 years. Oh, fantastic. And so you, you, you taught students in this discipline that, you, that you've worked in for so long. That's right. There was a landscape architectural technicians program. In fact, we have uh, one of their graduates in our company uh, today. Okay. Well, somebody for me to talk to on my other podcast, which I, where I talk to alumni. So, Bob, uh, one of the reasons we connected on this is uh, we've had our um, Shigematsu Memorial Japanese Garden since 2006. It commemorates a, a, a long-standing international program that we had in Japan, and it's become a big interest of mine. I really care about this space, and it's really loved by the community. I wanted to have you on the show 
So you could tell me some of the stories about the design and the thought process going into that. This is getting to be quite a while ago. How did you and your firm get involved with our project to build the Shigematsu Memorial Garden? Well, we were fortunate uh, to go through a bid process, mm -hmm. and we were retained by the community college mm -hmm. to do the campus beautification plan. Oh, okay. So you were involved on a, on a larger scale of campus beautification, and the Shigematsu Garden was uh, a part of that. Exactly. Okay. Uh, it became a focal point. Uh, it was in a space that was uh, between Darda Auditorium and the uh, Herman. The Herman, what was then the Herman Conference Center and is now uh, the president's residence. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and it was kind of an abandoned space. It was, it was just grass. There was a few trees and um, a storm sewer in the center of the, of the grass area. Really? So where the pond is now was a storm sewer? That's right. Wow. Okay. So it started from humble beginnings. Yeah. And somewhat of a, a leftover piece of ground. So we said it would be nice to beautify that area and make a link between Capitol Avenue by bringing a walk into that area and then connecting to campus. Uh, lo and behold came the Shigematsu, uh, what would you call it, uh, acknowledgement. Right. I think that my memory, and I'm sort of a student of our history, I wasn't here then, but I think that was the 25th anniversary of our international programs, the Japan Adventure, Japan Horizon, and I believe that Mr. Shigematsu had recently passed, and there was a... a this was an effort to memorialize his important uh, contribution, if I remember correctly. That's right. So this was an acknowledgment to Mr. Shigematsu, mm -hmm. and he was the president of the Bowako Steamship Company. Right. He and his uh, staff uh, thought it would be well-deserved to, to make some sort of contribution, mm -hmm. and Lansing Community College honored that by putting this garden together to commemorate him. And in that process, we were able to work with uh, Japanese gardeners and people who have uh, special skills in sculpting trees, the landscape, mm -hmm. and getting into the intimate detail of how this garden might be able to come about. So we met with uh, a lady by the name Miss Otani. Otani, okay. And she joined us uh, here on campus in what I would call a charrette. Okay, sure, sure. And listeners who don't know that term, it's like a, it's like a meeting where, where you study an issue from many different angles and have a lot of different points of view. So you had a charrette about uh, the design of the garden. That's right. Mm -hmm. We also had uh, some of the people here on campus participate, mm -hmm. uh, the president, mm -hmm. uh, the maintenance staff, yeah. facility director, uh, some of the uh, professors on campus that had a particular interest in the garden, mm -hmm. and, of course, the Japanese architect. Right. So me being a professional landscape architect, she being a landscape gardener, but in every right is also a landscape architect, Okay. we were able to collaborate and take all of those kind of special little things that people like to see in their campus mm -hmm. and meld them in together. Uh, and we would communicate by sketches 
we really didn't have uh, the ability to communicate uh, verbally because neither of us knew the other language. Interesting. So she she uh, wasn't a proficient English speaker, and you did not speak Japanese, so you were communicating through sketches? That's right. That's fascinating. So we had a good topographical map, mm-hmm. which shows the contours of the land and right. also shows where buildings are located. And her philosophy uh, became very apparent very soon, and that was <clears throat> it had to have land and it had to have water. Right. So the pond that you see in the uh, garden today <clears throat> is actually simulating Boaco Lake. Right. So it's the same shape. The outline of the of the uh, pond is is that lake. Is it Biaku? That's correct. Oh wow! And so through that process, we were able to also look adjacent to Atsu, Japan, mm-hmm. and there's a a mountain range there. Uh, Atsu is located pretty much in the center of the island okay. uh, near Kyoto. And we were able to simulate then the mountain terrain in the garden as well. Because in that uh, one corner of the garden, there's a raised uh, area with the, where the waterfall comes, right? That is, that's the feature you're talking about. And that simu- simulates that mountain. That's correct. And then one of my favorite parts of the gardener, there is that um, like high mountain path and, and, the, and the lanterns. Uh, I had someone translate those inscriptions, and that's essentially what it says, like high mountain road or mountain road. Is that, that, that was by design, correct? It was. It was meant to simulate uh, the homeland and bring it here uh, and make a footprint uh, here on campus. So the pathways represent the roadways and pathways. Mm-hmm that people follow uh, in Atsu. And there's also a variety of symbolization within the mountain itself. Take, for example, the stones. Yes. We spent over two weeks looking at various stones Mm -hmm. and selecting the correct stones with a specific uh, center of gravity of each stone. So Atani was very particular and how these stones are to be placed. Right. So she she was she wanted um, she wanted the stones to be arranged in a very particular way. And this is something I've learned about Japanese gardens. Uh, I toured the Japanese gardens at at Cranbrook School down in Metro Detroit, and heard the stories about how deliberate it was to the placement of the stones. And that's that that's true in our garden, correct? It is. In fact, some of the stones are purposely placed so that they're not clearly visible. There's always one stone that is going to be hidden Hmm. from each angle that you view the composition. That's fascinating. I'm going to have to look again when I go. And I see it a lot because it's it's right there by where I live. So tell me a little bit. So so you did the sketches and then uh, you told me your firm does the planning and the architecture, so you didn't physically put all that um, material in there, but I'm sure you were a, a part of its uh, uh, of when it was being constructed. And I've seen these great pictures of uh, a crane bringing in the stone bridge. And, and t- tell me a little bit about actually moving from your designs to what we see now in the garden. How did that happen? So Atani took the information that we generated through the charrette. Mm -hmm. She took them back to Atsu, and then we corresponded through mail. Okay. 
and we would make final subtle revisions. We were then working on the construction design, okay. which includes grading plans, layout plans, elevations, uh, how the water is going to flow down the, the rockscape, mm -hmm. the fountains, and all of the sort of technical aspects of the of the design. Mm -hmm. We translated that into construction documents and then sent those back to her. She would review them, make minor changes. We would then react. And finally, we had a uh, package that we could actually put out to contractors to bid. Right, right. And and I've seen some of the videos of the contractors that ended up being used, and there was a, a lot of care taken to put everything in the, in the correct order according to your design. So then we uh, hired HTA, right. which HTA. is okay. a local landscape company, mm -hmm. and uh, we had a very good working relationship with them. So we were able to oversee the construction and any questions or details that they had questions about. Since we're local right here in Lansing, we could very easily come over to the site, work out those issues as we went through the construction process. That's really fascinating to me. And as we talked about before, I've just taken a really keen interest in our garden and its history. And I'm learning a lot about other Japanese gardens. And one of the things that is really important to me is the ongoing maintenance and stewardship of this really special space. I think it's really important for us to hear the stories that you're talking about, about why the garden is set up the way it is. Because we can't just change it on a whim, right? We can't, for example, you know, change the shape of the pond because it's very specifically honoring a particular lake in Japan. Um, what, what other kinds of things do uh, you think are, what do you think is important in maintaining a space like, uh, uh, like Shigematsu Garden? Because you can't just create it and walk away, right? It, it requires care and maintenance for a lifetime. It really does. Uh, a garden, any gardener that, that knows uh, what it takes to maintain something, it's a labor of love also. Mm -hmm. So uh, Lansing Community College has done a fabulous job of sort of keeping it going. But over time, without understanding how the plants are going to mature, right. it's pretty easy to let things maybe grow a little bit more than what they normally should for a manicured garden, mm -hmm. such as a Japanese garden. So trimming is very important. In fact, they sent over specific people that would uh, trim the trees for us mm -hmm. so that we could learn a little bit about how they maintain their, their vegetation. Right. Uh, also, making sure the water is clean, mm -hmm. uh, the fountains have to be maintained, and uh, the gravel, uh, that is the pathway composition, has to be maintained as well. So there's the normal everyday uh, upkeep, but then every so often, every five years or so, you really should go through and really do a major uh, maintenance program. Well, and Bob, that's one thing I'd like our listeners to know, because I'm sure m most of our listeners are familiar with this space on campus. And that's one of the reasons you and I are talking is that, you know, we're, I'm interested in having us take a comprehensive look of where the garden is right now. And you're working with us on a team that's uh, taking a look at where are we, you know, 16 or so years in uh, as, as being the stewards of this great garden. Uh, the, from my perspective, you know, a lot of the hardscaping is still in amazing shape. Um, the, the wooden structures on the moon viewing deck and the terrace, 
those are made out of wood that's very, um, it's in great shape. It, uh, um, I'm not sure. Do you recall the kind of wood it's made out of? It's some very, very dense wood. It's a dense wood imported from Africa. It's called ipe. Ipe. And it's African wood. I did not know this. Okay. And so that's the moon viewing deck and that terrace are ipe wood from Africa. And um, it's darker than it was, but it is, I mean, the, there's no decay in the in the wood. I mean, we I, I go on that moon viewing deck a lot. And it is, you know, as structurally sound as the day it was built. It's very dense. It's harder than oak. Really? A lot of people are familiar with how hard oak is. Mm -hmm. So uh, they're, like you say, it holds up very well. And that wood was chosen for that reason. Oh, fascinating. And and in addition to the rocks, there are some, I, I'm guessing they're concrete, the, the, the lamps and the lanterns. Lanterns are very important in Japanese culture and in Japanese gardens in particular. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the two lamps that we have in there? One is quite large and the other smaller. The lanterns were brought in specifically uh, from Japan. And as you say, they have significance. They wanted the one lantern to be larger to represent uh, their sim symbol of uh, importance for light and for being able to light the way. Uh, along the path. Okay. So it is an exaggerated size, mm -hmm. but it was deliberately done that way um, that Miss Hotani wanted it to be, you know, sort of magnificent. And what I've what I've heard from uh, talking to other folks and reading some of the things in our LCC archives is that large lantern is a design that's called a snow lantern. That's there's a lot of snow on the ground right now. And, and it's just beautiful. I actually went through and t did a little walkthrough video with the foot and a half of snow in the garden uh, so that I could share it with folks. But that snow lantern is just beautiful in the winter. Well, I'm glad that you noticed that <laughs> and did a little research. That's excellent. Well, it's, it's really become a, a passion of mine. In fact, this spring I'll be traveling to Portland to meet with some folks at the Japanese garden there. I had the opportunity to meet the, and we joined, all, you'd be very happy to know, as a college, we joined the North American Japanese Garden Association. Excellent. Um, in fact, it, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here, but as we sort of refresh the garden in the next year or two, um, I'm a writer. All, all of my uh, degrees are in English. I think we should write an article for their uh, journal, the North American Japanese Garden Association journal, about the ongoing legacy of this uh, uh, a garden. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, the other key factor was the bridge. Yes, tell us the story of the bridge. Well, I don't know much about the uh, symbolism behind the bridge other than it mimics uh, Japanese bridges, mm -hmm. and it was uh, done with drills. So you start with a block of granite that's the size of the bridge. There's no joint within that bridge That's at all. That's one solid piece of granite? Correct. Wow. And so just like Michelangelo, they start chipping away. Mm -hmm. They can see the bridge uh, once they look at the block of granite, so that I'm told. Mm -hmm. And then they have people with drills and little drumlets on the end of the drill. And they literally start drilling the holes that form the balustrades in the bridge itself. So all of that was hand chiseled or ground out 
so to speak, in order to make this bridge come to life. If you've seen this bridge, if, I, if you've seen this bridge, you can't imagine the amount of work that that would take because it is a huge piece of granite. Um, on Twitter today, I put up some pictures of the bridge being lowered into place. Right now, we're building a, a parking deck, and we've got a giant red crane on campus, but there was a giant crane on campus back in 2006 where where was that? Uh, was the truck was the truck on uh, Capitol Avenue, and then it kind of how did how did that bridge get there? So back then, uh, LCC by the way buried all of the electrical lines on Capitol Avenue, which was a, an amazing project in and of itself. It, it makes it so much nicer because I remember when there were all the telephone poles and the power poles, and it just it's it, it's very attractive on Capitol Avenue now. But back then, the wires were there, so the bridge had to crawl in underneath the wire and then elevate the uh, crane and reach over the wires to pull the bridge off of the truck and then lift it all the way up in the air over the wires and eventually placing it where it is today. So it was a very large crane. It's huge, and I, I have some pictures. We'll put them in the show notes for today's uh, episode. We also have some great video of that coming in. And there are a lot of folks on campus who remember. That must have been a big deal, just like it is now. And we see this, uh, this giant crane over at the, at the uh, parking ramp. So before we finish, Bob, I would love to have your thoughts about the future of the garden. And we've, here it, it, we're almost coming up on having it for 20 years. This this was a garden designed to last decades and decades. What what are your thoughts uh, about the garden in the future? And what would you tell me as the president that I ought to know about making sure uh, that we maintain uh, this wonderful space here in Lansing? Well, I do think that it would be nice to uh, utilize the garden during the winter months as well as the spring, yeah, summer, and fall. Mm -hmm. And by having that one main walkway, which is handicap accessible, by mm -hmm. the way, we're able to probably make a passage through the garden so that you can appreciate the lantern and the snow. You can see everything that's covered. It makes a beautiful sight in the wintertime as, as well as any other season. And uh, also being able to maintain the pumps for the waterfall, mm -hmm. which probably needs some serious work having been, you know, a while now. Right. And along with the plant material, some of that plant material could be aging out. Right. We have to take a look at how mature it is. Some of those pines were there originally that were preserved and what health they're in, uh, as well as the rest of the vegetation. Yeah, and that's the process we're engaged in right now, and I'm, I'm glad you're a part of that team. And um, I, I'm looking forward to many years to come of uh, an enjoyable space on our campus at the uh, Shigematsu Japanese Garden. And Bob, it was wonderful to get to know you and visit with you a little bit. And thanks for uh, your great contributions to this real gem on our campus. Well, I appreciate that so much. And I just want to leave with you one little saying that was uh, Shigematsu's sort of parting gift to us. Mm -hmm. And he says, it's a quote by Rao Khan. I might be mispronouncing that, but what might I have leave you as my lasting legacy? Flowers in the springtime, the cuckoo singing all summer, and the yellow leaves of autumn. That is the perfect way to end our conversation. Thank you so much for your time, Bob. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. 
Teachable Moment is recorded by Steve Robinson and produced in the WLNZ studio on LCC's downtown campus. The soundtrack is licensed through DeWolf Music and was composed by John Rowcroft. Want more Teachable Moment? Visit lccconnect.org for more episodes. And if you have an idea you'd like to discuss with me on the show, send an email to steve underscore robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. You're listening to LCC Connect on WLNZ Lansing, 89.7 FM.